you about our, our God. It's good to be here with you this morning. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning, just to kind of give you a little bit more information about who I am, uh, as uh, you have never met me before today, my name is Brad Williamson. This is indeed my family, or at least part of my family that's here with me this morning. We do have two other children uh, that are both at Western Carolina, and so, uh, and then we have the seventh on the way that's due in July. So the Lord has been gracious to us and has blessed us tremendously, and we're thankful for that. And uh, currently, I am a church plant resident at Providence Church. Uh, I've been in vocational ministry since the age of 19. So if you can do math real quick, that was 25 years ago. And we have been able to serve as pastor and senior pastor, uh, youth pastor, uh, in a couple of different churches back in North Carolina. So you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from around here. But uh, we were born and raised in North Carolina, uh, been pastoring there for the last 25 years. And over those years, God had kind of put on our hearts the possibility of planting church. We've always been interested in missions and feel like maybe even one day we still will be on the mission field, but uh, God has not brought us to that point at this point. But ultimately, what it boiled down to is very early on in my life and ministry, and then as Jennifer and I became husband and wife, uh, we basically told God, you know, here's a blank check, God. You fill in the details, and we will go wherever you want us to go. We will go whenever you want us to go, and we will do whatever it is that you want us to do. And that's how we've tried to live our lives as we've sought to live by faith and, and, and not by sight. And so God has been working and moving in our life, and uh, just this past August, uh, we moved to Knoxville to take part in a church plant residency at Providence Church, and, and they've been great for us. It's been a tremendous blessing for us as we've been able to kind of learn the nuts and bolts. Planting a church is far different than pastoring an established church. Uh, all the churches that I've uh, been a part of we're well over, you know, uh, 75, 100 years old. And so uh, this is a, a big transition for us. And we're looking to plant a church in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, that's a, just a, a place that God has broken our hearts for, or people that he's broken our hearts for. And so, uh, Lord willing, by the end of the summer, we're looking to, to live in Asheville and uh, start living on mission, making disciples who make disciples. And so it's a, it's a joy and a privilege to be here with you this morning. And really, I've selected this passage in, in Revelation 4 to really kind of, I guess, drive home uh, this passion that is ours to live on mission for him. Because in reality, it ought to be a, a passion and a desire of every believer as we catch a glimpse of who God is and what he's done in our life. It ought to compel us to live our lives for him. And so I hope that's what you'll see this morning as we look to Revelation chapter 4. And so I'm going to ask that you would stand out of the respect of reading God's word, if you will, if you're able to this morning. Revelation chapter 4, and we'll read the entire chapter, and I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. 
The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And may God add the blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for this day that you have given to us. That we can gather with brothers and sisters in Christ to, to sing our praises to you. To lift up our prayers to you. To be able to worship you. Because you are worthy of our worship. You are awesome and holy and majestic. You're righteous and loving. You're merciful. Lord, you're compassionate and slow to anger. And we thank you, Father, that we have this opportunity to, to publicly uh, announce this to one another as well as to anyone that would might hear. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to, to remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. To remember that Jesus died in our place. And that through him we might have life. Indeed, to know to, to live for him is worth it all. And so we pray, Lord, that in these next few moments as we look to your word, that you would once again speak to us. Father, may we have ears that hear. May we have eyes that see. Lord, you have a word for us. You have a plan and a purpose for us. It's my prayer that we would be obedient to that today. And I ask that you would use this time for your glory and for your honor. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever tried to describe something to someone that has, has no idea what you're talking about? Maybe you've tasted some great tasting food. Maybe you've been to this awesome location. Maybe you've heard a beautiful piece of music, whatever it might be, and you're sitting there trying to describe it to that individual. 
trying to be able to explain to them what it is that you've experienced, what you've seen, what you felt, all of those types of dynamics that go into that experience. Have you ever thought about what it would be like trying to explain a beautiful sunset to someone that cannot see? Or to be able to describe a, a, a piece of Mozart's music or Beethoven to someone that can hear? Kind of on a more humorous personal note, the other day as Jennifer and I were on the couch and I was rubbing her belly and feeling the baby kick and move, she kind of just stopped and she said, have you ever thought what it's like to experience feeling the baby on the inside? You know, ha have you ever wanted to carry the baby so that you would know? You know what my immediate response was? Nope. <laughs> I'm too smart to know that uh, you know I, I I would want to be pregnant. I, I you know more power to her and to any other lady that carries a child, uh, but no, I, I wouldn't have not wanted that experience. Even though I would imagine it's a very unique and personal experience, and even one that she can't adequately describe to me or to anyone else that's not carried a child. I ask all those things. Because I believe that's what John is trying to experience here and trying to describe for us in Revelation 4. Think about the time and place and where John is. John being one of the, the apostles. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John that we have in our New Testaments. And here is John, the last living apostle. All the others have been martyred. And he alone is still alive, an older man at this point. But even he has not escaped persecution. He's on the Isle of Patmos at this time, being arrested and exiled there because of his faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord that he has personally seen and testifies to. He has pastored, he has struggled, he has worked for the Lord all of his adult life, and now here at a very advanced age, he is sitting in prison. It's roughly 90 A.D. at this point, and he gets this vision, this revelation given to him of Jesus Christ and the things to come. And imagine him here in the first century trying to understand and, and explain what he sees as he gets a vision of heaven. You and I probably have sat around trying to wonder about heaven and what it might look like, and we come up with all types of ideas, and there's a whole lot of popular pop culture type stuff. But here we've, we're giving a picture of the very throne room of heaven, and John is trying to describe that for us, let alone from the first century to what he's seen, but even being able to try to connect it to us here in the 21st century. And what we ultimately get a picture of here is that God in all of his glory deserves and is worthy of our worship. God in all of his glory, in all of what he is able to show to us through his written word is, and, and how we've experienced him in our life leads us to, to worship him, leads us to serve him. And indeed, both of those kind of go hand in hand 
as we think about what the scriptures say about our spiritual act of worship or service over in Romans chapter 12. So Paul, uh, excuse me, so John here is given a glimpse of heaven and he tries to explain that to us. Now notice what he says there in verse 1. He says, after these things, this comes after the vision in verse 1, comes after the letters to the churches that are in chapters 2 and chapters 3, the scene begins to change. John again, who is on Patmos, is suddenly given this new vision in this new location. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice, that being Jesus Christ, as we heard from Revelation chapter 1, speaks to him and says, come up here and I will show you what is to take place. This is going to be the plan that God has for the rest of history, for all of creation, for every creature that's in heaven and under heaven and on the earth. This is not one of our plans. This isn't our hopes. This isn't our dreams. This is the plan that God has for all of creation. And the Bible is quite clear that because of he is the one who is everlasting from the beginning to the end, he has had a plan set in motion even before he created this world. And he's going to bring about this purpose. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And what we are given here is immediately he is brought up into the spirit. There's a throne in heaven and someone seated on it. The one that's seated there has the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that has the appearance of emerald surrounding the throne. Immediately John is able to see this picture of this amazing uh, figure that's arrayed in all of these beautiful lights and beautiful stones. He's not even able to truly under, explain and, and, and tell us all the details here. But we do see a couple of things in this. He sees that there's a throne. Now, Revelation is a throne book. Revelation 4 is a throne chapter. This word throne appears over 45 times in the book of Revelation, 14 times just here in chapter 4. It was the throne. It denotes majesty. It denotes the monarchy. It denotes royalty, sovereignty. Here is a throne, and there is one that is seated upon the throne, meaning that this, this sovereign Lord is over all things. Earthly monarchs are going to come and go. Just this, within the last couple of weeks, we've heard of Prince Philip, who has passed away. The queen is eventually going to pass away. All other presidents, all other queens, all other kings, they come and go. But there's one king that lives forever. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. As Isaiah chapter 6 tells us, the Lord is high and sitting upon the throne, lifted up. Psalm 47, 8 says God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. There is no doubt who's in control here. He is sitting on the eternal throne, reigning sovereignly over all things. And this one that's sitting upon this throne, reigning sovereignly, is spectacular in his appearance. He's like Jasper. He's like Carnelian or Sardis. 
Ezekiel chapter 1 in the Old Testament kind of gives us a, a parallel to what's going on there. All these, these beautiful images, a rainbow that looks like an emerald, taken as a whole, all of these precious stones, all of what's being displayed here is a God who is majestic in his splendor and glory. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Can you picture the glory of God? Think about what we read in the Old Testament as God reveals himself there upon Mount Sinai to Moses and all the children of Israel. In fact, as Moses is in his presence over 40 days and 40 nights, what happens as he comes back down the mountain? His face is shining so brightly that he has to put a veil over it so that the Israelites can look upon him. He's been in the presence of God Almighty and lived to begin with, but also to see that he is now radiating some of that glory. We get an image here of just how glorious our God is. He's beyond full description. And yet, we know that he reigns completely and sovereignly. He's awesome. He's majestic. He's transcendent and spectacular. This is a picture of a beautiful, holy, awesome God. In fact, we kind of get a picture of the response of what this God brings as we interact with him. Notice as we go into verse 4 that around this throne are 24 other thrones. And on those thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Now, we really don't know who these 24 elders are. There's lots of different speculations on who, who they could be. But we do know that they ultimately are those there who have been given the designation to, to rule or to, to lead. Some commentaries say that this is perhaps representative of all the redeemed throughout all the ages. Twelve patriarchs from the Old Testament, and the twelve apostles from the New Testament. But it's representing to each and every person that has confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. Again, they're given thrones. They are given white clothes. They're given crowns. Imagine the honor that it is to be able to be gathered around the throne. To be saved is enough. If God never did anything else, he did enough in sending his only begotten son to die on the cross in your place and in my place. If God never did an, another thing in our life, he never blessed us in another way. He's done simply enough. to love us enough to send his son while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, for Christ to die in our place. To be saved would be enough, but we see here we actually get to not just be saved, but to share in some of the work that he is doing here. We see a great God on display for us. And yet John's still not finished with this description. In verse 5, we get a glimpse of just how awesome it is to be in his presence. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Again, reminiscent of Mount Sinai as God's Shekinah glory covers that mountain. Lightning and voices and thunder 
It, it speaks of power and strength. But it also reminds us of God's judgment. Revelation 8, after the breaking of the seventh seal, and then again in chapter 11, after the blowing of the seventh trumpet, and chapter 16, after the pouring out of the seventh bowl, and all of these things, thunders are about to come forth, but in, mercy, in God's mercy, he has sealed them up until the appropriate time. And at the appropriate time, God is going to judge the world. He's going to judge the rebellious and sinful world that has rejected him and ignored him. Remember, Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's what he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But there is coming a day when, as Jesus was the Lamb of God in his first coming, there's coming a day when he's going to be the Lion of Judah who's going to come and execute judgment against those who have rebelled against God. There are also seven fiery torches. There's something like a sea of glass. All of this to show just how awesome he is in his power and in his might. John here gives this to us as a description to remind us that yes, God is holy, God is love, God is merciful. But as sovereign king and Lord over all things, there's coming a day when judgment is coming. That's a part of his plan as the rest of the book of Revelation reveals for us. That God is going to bring all of this to an end and set everything right once again. And until that time, we're given a, a picture of who this God is. You have the elders around the throne. You have the four living creatures that are gathered around the throne. All of this shows us that God is the center of this entire story. The story isn't about you. It isn't ultimately about me. It isn't about any other created beings, not these elders, not these living creatures, that ultimately the center of this story, and not just in, in John's vision, but from Genesis to Revelation, from the entire work that God is doing, he is the main and central character here. And in light of that, what is our response? We see here that these living creatures are constantly crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And then as these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The crescendo of chapter 4, and really even as you move into chapter 5, because they can be understood as a vision together. In chapter 4 we have God the Creator, and here in chapter 5, we have God the Savior. And you notice as you read through chapter 5, we won't re take the time this morning to read it. I would encourage you to go home and read it. But it's in chapter 5 that we see the Lamb come forward who has been slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one that's worthy to receive the scroll that's in the, 
hand of the figure upon the throne. And in response to this, every creature, all creatures, living creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth, on the sea and everything in them, they are giving worship to the Lamb, just like we sung earlier this morning. Ultimately, in response to who this God is and what he has done, the creator and maker of heaven and earth and everything in it and the savior of all things in it, this God deserves our worship. The book begs the question, is he worthy? And John's vision to us is an exclamation Yes, he is. This God who is high and lifted up. This God who has created everything, including ourselves. This God who gave of himself to die upon the cross in our place. Who redeemed humanity by his own power and his own majesty. Who has the power to raise the dead back to life. Is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our service. What do we do in response to someone who has done an act of kindness towards us? If someone shows you kindness, if someone does a favor for you, if someone were to pay off all of your debt, if somebody was to give up their life for you, how would you respond? I hope you would be grateful. I hope you would be appreciative of what has been done on your behalf. And I would hope that given the opportunity, you would respond in favor. That if someone was in need, if, if there was some way that you could repay that act of kindness, that you would go about your business to do so, that you would make it your chief business to do so. This is exactly what this text demands of us this morning in light of who God is in light of the vision that we've been given of him in all of his holiness and majesty and his awesomeness in light of the sacrifice that he's made on our behalf in giving up his only begotten son there's only one appropriate response it's a life of worship and service this is why Paul says that you are to be a living sacrifice. This is why he says we're to be this living sacrifice that's our acceptable act of worship or service. The word can be translated either way. Christ died in your place so that you might live for him. This is what uh, this picture of God, this is who, uh, this is what of who he is and what we get an image of demands as a response. Not just with our lips. Not just with our actions. But with our life. Now, what we see here is that this is what's going to be taking place one day, when, when we're in heaven, when we're around that throne, we're going to be a part of these multitudes of multitudes that are there. And we're going to be worshiping God. But why wait? 
Why wait until eternity when we can do this here and now, that we can live this life of worship and service in praise to our King, in appreciation of our Savior? Now for us, for my family, that means living, leaving the life that we're used to, that we know of, and, and kind of like Abraham, moving off into the unknown. This is new territory for us. To be able to go and, and, and start this church in Asheville. For you, it might be something different. It might to be to speak to that neighbor, to speak to that coworker, to be able to speak to that fellow student. It might mean that you are able to, to give sacrificially. It might look like a whole lots of different opportunities and possibilities. That's the amazing thing about service to the king. It can be anything. But ultimately, how do we use our time, our talent, and our treasure in service to him? How are you using your time, your talent, and your treasures? We're just stewards of what we've been given. How will we be the best stewards possible? How will we Proclaim his holiness and his awesomeness. How will you live a life that shows that he's worthy of worship? Let's pray. Indeed, God, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. And we know that there's coming a day when all of heaven and earth is going to cast their crowns around your throne and worship you. And indeed, that is an appropriate and joyous assignment given to us in light of who you are and what you have done. You are worthy of all of that. But I pray that we will understand and appreciate that you are worthy now to receive our worship and service. Whatever that might look like, whatever that means for us as individuals or for as a body of believers, how can we leverage our life for the king and the kingdom in our time, in our talents, in our treasures? Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. You have a purpose and a plan for this church. Father, help us to live in light of who you are and what you've done. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.